This episode of Life's a Garden is brought to you by Yellowstone CrossFit. I've talked about these guys before, and I told you all a while back that I was going to get my membership and start going. Well, guess what? I finally did it. Had my first CrossFit experience this week, and when I tell you I was walking out of there like Bambi, I am not joking. That thing whooped my ass, but it was the best workout I've had in a very long time, and I feel great. If any of you are interested in doing CrossFit, getting in better shape, getting healthier, go check out Yellowstone CrossFit located at 2701 Enterprise Avenue. You can find them on Facebook, get in contact with them, or just go down, check out a class, see if you're interested. And if you are, get a membership and get fit. Today's guest is an extremely talented guitar player. He has been in multiple bands throughout the years here in the Billings music scene, and he is currently working on multiple projects, including some solo work that he produces himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Carter Estel. Right. How's it going, man? I'm doing good, dude. How are you? I am good. So what have you been up to, man? I feel like we haven't really talked in a long time. I know. It's been a it's, it has been a while. Um well I personally, just in like a non musical sense, I've just got a new job. Um so that's going crazy. I'm studying for my securities licenses so I can talk about investing and stuff and something that I've worked for since I was nineteen in the finance industry. So that that's been going crazy. Um, my wife is almost done with school, so there's a lot of good change coming our way um, and going on right now. And then musical side of stuff, it's starting to ramp up and get super fast, and sweet, it's getting exciting. So what I love about that you? Feeling. Oh, I've been good, just working and been working out a lot lately. Yeah, me too. And then uh, that's yeah, I, I could tell honestly. Oh, like, really? Yeah, Thanks. yeah, yeah. We'll good. have to we'll have to pick each other's brains on fitness because I've become a, a total gym rat. So. Oh yeah, and then yeah, obviously the music too. Just been doing band stuff, and I know I love I love Cutthroat. Thanks, man. I, I do. You guys put on such a good show. It's great, dude. It's so good to be back on stage finally. I know. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Like, like the last time I was on stage was right before the shutdown. It was that Rage Against the Machine tribute show, which was super fun right it was it was just a blast and like but there was still a part of me that you know like when you're on stage and you're playing your own stuff Mm. and i for me that kind of solidified that i could never just be in a cover band i'm always going to be a songwriter and i'm always going to want to play my own music so um and it's fun to play cover i love playing covers right but um yeah i can't wait to get on stage and actually play my own stuff again yeah well the number one thing that people always come up to us after the show and say is oh man you guys got to get some covers in there it's like yeah i get like what you're saying i understand the like concept behind it yeah but that's just not what we do like if you want a cover band there's a million of them yeah and there's really good ones yeah for sure like kicking karma kicking karma um so yeah no i totally get it i i think always having it in your arsenal though is super important oh yeah it's Um, it's nice because people it's stuff people know people can like well, and if you can make it your own too, I mean, yeah. look at what um, 
you know, all these other bands. There's a lot of bands that'll throw a cover out and it sounds like the original because they're doing an homage. And there's bands that will do it their own way. For example, Disturbed does their own. That I've always respected that. Yeah. Like they, they don't change it so much to where it's unrecognizable, but they change enough to where you're like, dang, that was like a really different take on how that song was perceived. I know there's a lot of people that don't like um, the Sound of Silence cover. Yeah. But I, I thought it was incredible. Like, I mean, it, I've heard the original. I, I get it. I respect Simon and Garfunkel. and But when you hear him just... It's so fast. It, it almost loses, for me, it almost loses that meaning. And then when they just slowed it down and made it that ballad... Oh, well, I feel oh. like that's the way that song was meant to be. And then I feel the same way about... Uh, Gone Away by that the one well, oh Five the Finger Offspring, Death Punch and then that. yeah Five Finger Death Punch I, the way Five Finger Death Punch slows it down that's like the way that song was meant to be played yeah. in my eyes you know because it's a somber song yeah. but like you know yeah, Offspring kind of makes take. it more like poppy a little bit it was definitely a different take I didn't see that coming when and I know I mean everybody hates on Five Finger Death Punch but sometimes when they there are some covers they should not have done. Right. But there are a few where it's like, dang, that was really good. Because they're all really good musicians. And that's that's what's so funny about, like, mainstream bands. Like, people hate on Nickelback. They hate on Five Finger. Like, speaking of Five Finger, I'm not a big fan of their last few records. I, I just They're just not good to me. Their first two albums were great. I agree. And because they were, like... I mean, there was heavy. There's obviously always, always heavy bands. Even you know during the '90s when metal kind of went underground and grunge kind of took over. But, um, like, they were something different when that first record came out. They weren't necessarily metalcore, but they weren't like Slipknot heavy. They were just different. Yeah. They were a different type. It was almost like, and I'm sure I'm gonna get heat for this one, but it was almost like a different Pantera. Like in you, that first, you, you know what like I mean? Like a new like, generation style. That really, that first record had a lot of really great riffs and a really lot, a lot of dirt to it. Mm -hmm. And I wish they would have kind of stuck with that a little more. Yeah, that's I what like I mean. Like I haven't. They just keep writing the same song. They keep, they keep writing the same record after they came out. I think with like their third album. Yeah. But you know, there's there's something about um, doing a cover your own way and then just doing songs that shouldn't be covered, and they definitely are doing that. Well, they're one of those really cover-happy bands that they, they saw the success in doing covers, and then they just kind of kept well, rolling yeah, with that. Definitely. I, but I think what I was what I was going back to saying is that, like, it's funny that all those, like, popular bands get made fun of, but you look at the musicianship in mm -hmm. those bands, they are so god dang good. Like, it, Chad Kroger said once, too, he goes, I write songs for Nickelback fans, and who's the biggest Nickelback fan? Me. And yeah. that's why they're so successful, because they are really talented musicians and really talented songwriters. Um... There is a uh, oh no uh, Andy James, my favorite guitar player. Andy James is playing with Five Finger now. Oh okay. And people like in his own comment section because he's such known for being a solo artist and just an incredible virtuoso guitar virtuoso guitar player. But now people are like lighting him up. Oh, you're playing with Five Finger Death Punch. Same thing when Jeff Loomis went to Arch Enemy, selling out. Going, I'm like, dude, money talks, bullshit locks. You know, well, like. Here's something. It's funny that you even brought this up because I was just thinking about this. I think yesterday, 
I was listening to a podcast and they were talking to kind of something similar about this, just like the hate that people get when they're really popular, really yeah. famous. And it's just inevitable that, you know, fame and like popularity equals hate. And it's because people just can't stand success because, and a lot of the people who hate on that are the people who, you know, are envious of that. Oh, definitely. And who probably will never be successful and they're just jealous and and just hate on people who are successful. Yeah. Well, and what I see too a lot and I mean, I try not to I like to just go see who's like, you know, talking sure. crap in the comments and stuff. I don't really I don't engage too much, but like um I like to see all the people that think they have an opinion on it. Mm. But they're in the, but they they're not musicians or they they've never been in a band that has even had moderate even local success or anything like that like they just don't understand the struggle well they don't get that it's the music industry yeah. it's a business yes you want to make money i mean do people i'm absolutely you know you go up there for the love of it because you love what you can do as a musician and the reaction you can get and you know the the community and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day, somebody's got to pay the bills. And if you can write a song that's going to pay your bills, you're damn right. You're going to want to keep doing that. Yeah. Like, why would you not want to do that? Well, and there's music for everybody anyway. So, like, if that band's not your flavor, hey, go check out one that is. Yeah. Because a lot of people do like that kind of music. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. And if that's not your flavor, fine. Don't got to hate on it. Just go listen to the stuff you like. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan. I Obviously, I love Ghost. Um, Avenged Sevenfold always is going to be my favorite band. Um, you know? But I don't, I don't always agree with what they do. But coming from somebody who writes songs and understands the band dynamic, and not in the sense that they do, where they're, you know, this multi-platinum selling band, they've got a record label, blah, blah, blah. I don't understand it, you know, on a personal level like they do. But I can I can understand where they come from when they do certain decisions. And if I don't agree with the decision, I'm not going to just totally write them off. Right. When you got to think about bands too, like when they become more successful and the longer they play, their view on the world changes from when they were just a band playing in the garage. You know, the way they write songs, the way you interpret music and all this stuff. You see things through a different lens as, you know, you go on throughout your music career. So you got to expect that yeah. things are going to end up changing. Well, and that's a funny thing. I always had an argument with, a, with like, a past band member about, you know, he'd always have an attitude. He's like, I just don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. And it's like, yeah, those bands perpetuate that, but they actually do. Like, yeah. They're actually really good at you know crafting their or honing their craft and like being good musicians like you have to care you have to care about the business side you have to care about the songwriting you have to care about the performance for me the most important thing is the performance right well that's like, what people remember exactly no matter and that's the thing like i remember you know five six years ago coming through like as etu and stuff like that like there were still a lot of the older Billings bands like Cancerous and, and Endeavor and um, and all the, you know, kind of, I like to call them the Godfathers, you know, they kind of just, like, opened up, and now, unfortunately, those bands are gone. Right. But, um, you know, they all taught us something out of it. But then I, I noticed, like, there was, like, a... It wasn't, it wasn't, like, a specific group or anything, but there was always, like, this, like, stigma that you just like shouldn't try to 
and maybe it's just me. Maybe I just think about overthink about stuff. But like you, you shouldn't try to give a hundred and ten percent every time you're up there because then that would be selling out. You shouldn't. Do you know what I mean? I like, know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, don't act like this. It's I, I would look at it like this idea. Like, why are you acting like you're you know a signed band that's like performing in front of a sellout crowd? Well, that's how you should act yeah. because if you want to get to that. You gotta act like exactly. That. You dress for the job you you want, not exactly. the job you have, right? So like, it was never, it was never a thing where we we thought we were like better. Or we just it, it was just there were certain things like as you started as we started playing with like bigger bands, we started to learn, like why just because I'm playing a local venue, why should I be okay with bad sound? Why should I be okay oh. with the power cutting out every five seconds and busting my two thousand dollar head? You know, like. There are certain things where it's okay to say something because, in my eyes, I'm putting people paid. They paid for a local band, Mm -hmm. five dudes, four dudes, whatever, that they might not even know, but they paid five bucks that they could have bought a beer with to watch me play for an hour. I mean, that's humbling. That's that's a gracious thing. So for me, I've always wanted to give them their money's worth. Whether it be five dollars, I'm gonna make it a concert that was worth five hundred. I'll do what I can to do that, you know. Um, and that's just like always, like how I thought. And I, sometimes I felt like I got some flack about that, you know. Like you were saying, you you try to act like you're a signed band because that's what you want to be. Mm-hmm. But the the pieces of being in that world, like you don't want to like reciprocate. You don't want to be. Like, I'm better than this. I'm better than you. Like you don't want to be like that. You well, want, yeah. But you want to bring the professionalism to it. Yeah. I mean, I'll do, like you said, people paying for this, I'll do that for a free show. You yeah. know, because what, like what we were saying before, that's the thing people remember. If you put on, like, like a show that people are, th- you know, feel like this is a professional show, well, they're going to look at you like you're a professional. Yeah. You know, if you act like you're a garage band that doesn't give a shit, that's how they're going to... Th- Feel yeah. about you. And sometimes that's cool. Like it's, sure. it's if not, that's what you want to be. We're not talking down on that no. aspect, but it's you shouldn't talk crap on people that are take, take like okay, like my personal personal rule, I don't drink before or during a show ever. Okay. Never have. Afterwards, okay, maybe. But because like one, alcohol and me as far as coordination do not mix. Sure. Any sense of the word just just doesn't happen. And like for me that was always like a rule to like not need liquid confidence like to get in front of and yeah at first it was kind of weird like getting in front of people now it's like nothing it's like oh there's like 400 people here <laughs> whatever you mm-hmm. know cool I'll only see like 20 of them with the lights you yeah. know so it's it's not a big deal it was always about it's always been about the music for me like it's about that performance and that energy and I just know that like if I get up there and I start I just get sloppy and stop caring you know yeah for me, I, I like to have one before just to like, like you said, yeah. the ease the nerves because I do get nervous. Yeah. But I'm with you too. Like, I don't like to drink a lot before the show for sure because for me, well, one, as a singer, you get burps and stuff yep. and I hate that. And two, you know, I, I have the biggest fear of like slurring my words and even, even just slightly. Like, yep. you know, if you're not on point... It, it can it can ruin it. And show. even if the crowd like doesn't know that you've messed up or like you if you start you know. feeling then they start to see it. Yep. Cuz once you <laughs> there's a couple times where like I would eat before like I'd get off work and we have a show so I had to get like go grab all my stuff, get to sound check and then like 
play the show. So I didn't even get to eat. So then what I started doing is like right before the show, oh, I'm going to go eat. I'm going to go eat. And then I stopped moving. And where ETU, Nate would look over at me. He'd just be like, you went and ate dinner, didn't you? Like you were just... Like we were playing. Because I was so full yeah. that I couldn't like jump around. He's like, I bet you're going to stop doing that, aren't you? Because there's one time I ate Dickie's barbecue. It was always a thing. Oh, I yeah. love Dickie's. And so like we play the pub, so I'd always get Dickie's for dinner. And um, that was the last time I started doing that like before a show because I about threw up one time because I was oh, jumping. Damn. I was just, like getting the burps. And he was looking over at me. I was like, not again. Not doing this. Right. <laughs> no, I, f- I feel you there. It's just whatever you can do to make the performance better. Exactly. Like just in e- just even in the smallest things like that. And I think if you do care about it, you will take things seriously. Like like you said, sound, lighting, just yeah. overall performance. Well, and you use what you can, too. Like, you work with what you got. Yeah. Like, I never had a lighting, like, thing. Like, my uncle, he, he used to have a um, – he used to manage the farthest edge – Oh, okay. Um, and so he, they had a bunch of money, you know, because of just, they all were adults and had money and they played shows and they had an investor and all that kind of stuff. But um, he had lights and stuff. Like, he had tens of thousands of dollars worth of lights. So occasionally when we play the pub, we got to use his lights and that was cool. But like, again, you work with what you got. If you got a couple, four bucket cans, yeah. then that's what you got. You know, but it's, that's when you, for me, that's when you go back to the performance aspect of it. Like, so, okay, we have no real stage. We're just on the floor. Yeah. We've got Which four cans. Yeah. Like at Craft Local. You just make it work for you, man. Exactly. Like, I think it's cool, like, watching you guys play at Craft Local. Um, and that's a hard venue yeah, to play. And because it's, it's long mm-hmm. and you're in the middle playing this way when everybody's to a short this wall, way. Yeah. It's very awkward. And I we've we we used to play in some weird places too. We played in this place called the Complex in Bozeman. They tore it down. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Super crappy on the outside. Just looked like a total dive. I remember pulling up. I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna get shot. Like this is crazy. And we go in, and the there's like metro quality sound in there. This this sound guy did the brick breeding sound too. Oh, okay. That did the complex, I guess. The sound we had there that was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Um, but it like so you had the main stage it was small but then you had the drums that were on a secondary stage that were above so Andre sat like five or six feet above us behind us that was weird that's pretty that, rad though it was cool it was really cool it was a cool experience and they tore that venue down I was so disappointed damn but it, it was weird because like even though your drums like you're sitting in the back and stuff Usually you got your cabs, you got your bass, you got all that. He's just has the monitor at this point, so it was a very different experience for him. He said he he like I felt so disconnected. Okay, that from makes sense. The rest of the band because how far back he's just up there was. by himself. Yeah, because it was cool, but it was weird. Like yeah, that makes sense. You work with what you got though. We we gave a hell of a performance that night. Well, know? I like the fact that you have to improvise sometimes. You know, you have to deal with different stage setups. You have to deal with different sounds, and you just kind of got to adjust and make it work for you. And I like that. It yeah. just kind of keeps you on your toes, and it, it makes it so every show is not the same. Yeah, and it can get very repetitive in the same town when you're not For going sure. around. We've well, been having a hard time right now trying to find new venues. Like, yeah. I don't want to just keep playing the craft local. I like it there, you know, even though it is a difficult room to play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mind playing there, but it's just not a lot of venues right now. I, I was looking at a, I think we might be playing Andy's here. 
Yeah, Andy's is starting to pop a little bit. I think I think give it a few more months and, and I think there'll so be too. some more. Uh, I think Andy's will do really good for shows. I think the what did they change the brew pub to? Or not the brew pub, the brewing company to? Oh, it's uh, Thirsty Street. I think they'll do some. Well, I got a hold of that guy and he he told me, oh yeah, we're like they were t- asking for musicians and stuff, and I you know sent a resume and whatever. I was like, hey, we're looking to play some shows, and he was like, oh yeah, well we'll be doing like a metal weekend in July. I'm like, well that doesn't help me now. Yeah, you know, it's like, but hey, okay, there's something in July, I guess maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get some of the venues aren't. That's they're, a, they're not built for us, right? Yeah. They're not built for them. But but I think you know like. <sighs> As much as I think all of us have a a very love affectionate place in our hearts for the rail yard, some of us have a little bit of a love hate relation. I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with the rail yard, but it still was like at least you we had the always yard. Play there. At least we had the yard. You know, I remember being in high school, and since we graduated at the same time, I'm sure. I don't know if you really remember this like rhetoric, but this was like my how I had it in my head like senior year, um, like when we when we first started. In suburban society, mm-hmm. which you were in that band too, right? For a, a very short time, yeah. <laughs> For a minute, me too. Um, so I remember, like, if you start now, you played the perk. Remember yes. the perk? Yeah, absolutely. Like that was everybody played, right? And then if you were if you were good enough, you could play the foe. Yep. Because the foe was better. Mm-hmm. And then when the rail yard was kind of at its peak, when Sean was kind of doing both that and Manny's. Um, you'd get into the rail yard or you'd go to Manny's and that was like top tier. And then once the pub station opened, it all kind of changed a little bit. Yeah. But um, from what I've heard, like Cameron Records does yeah, stuff. We, we're trying to get there. We haven't really tried to ask them again, but that was going to be our first show and that was right before things shut down. Mm. I liked when you guys played the tap in though. I never thought of that little alleyway being a a venue like right. i mean if they if they could do that for the summer like over the weekends and just get bands to play that would be sweet. that'd be very awesome and my dad knows the guy so i think i'm gonna try and that was a that. really cool experience i had never been in that area it's not a bad venue no and to have it like with the brick too it actually it like coned the sound yeah so it was clear mm-hmm. so i think i think that'll um oh, i moved this oh you're fine um hopefully that'll open up this summer um well, yeah, once it starts getting warm out, you'll get that outside venue. Yeah. Like, I know uh, the Squire does stuff sometimes. Yeah. And then... They have bands. They have, like... Well, see, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I know a lot of venues, they don't want to take... They don't want to take the chance on originals, because are they going to get, um, you know, people a crowd. in or a crowd? Are we going to drive the crowd out? Um, I think that was one thing, like, I love the... Mosevo when they were doing some shows and they'd oh, kind of yeah. bring in a little bit more rock. I think Justin played there when Photoshop played there and like I saw it. A, I think I saw one of their shows. There, yeah. yeah, and bless their hearts because like that is a hard. You're a coffee shop and yeah. you want to do a metal show. I uh-huh. mean that's awesome, but you have to. There is a there is a give and take there where it's like, should we do this or should we stick to our acoustic? nights and things like that what's gonna and that's up to the venue owner but i also do think that there needs to be a little bit of ballsiness to it too and say yeah we're gonna do this tonight this is what we're gonna do every weekend we're gonna have take a original yeah original metal band and if it doesn't work you can go back to the way it was exactly what do you lose oh you lost a week you still you're still a coffee shop you make money all day long you know and i think the thing is a lot of places don't view local rock metal bands as having a fan following yeah and you know a lot of us do. Yeah. They don't really think about it. It's like, 
that whole show we did at Craft Local, that was all like yeah. our people. That was awesome, dude. It was so packed. It's like, but then you know, it's like venues like Andy's. That's something that I think we could always play. Yeah, and we know we could play Craft Local yeah, and stuff. They're but, willing to take a chance. And also the well, it's it's quite it's like a divey type bar yeah. that like that's kind of the music you expect to hear when you go into a place like that. Yeah. But like if they can start doing outside shows too there, like, like the parking lot show, was yeah, cool. That was really nice. Yeah, and that parking lot's pretty big enough for it's in a it's kind of on a weird spot there on the corner in the street, but it is what it is. Yeah. Well, that new I don't know what about that much about that new venue out in uh, Shepherd. Oh, remember. it's super nice. Like it looks like a concert hall. Are you talking about the one in uh, um, Huntley? Yeah, is it in Huntley? The at the Blue Cat. Yeah, I think that's that it. place is cool. Yeah, and I don't know if they're gonna do like allow for local bands, but I mean, again, that's it's just like take a chance because it, how many? I mean, how much? How many? How many beer sales do you think that Craft Local did that night? You guys were playing. It, I'm sure it was huge. Yeah, there was people buying beer. People are going to drink. Like, and it was just us. Like, they'd be so. Can you imagine if we had like two or three other bands with us? Yeah, and nobody they could, that I noticed walked in and left because there was a band. They all came in. Because they were all gonna drink and they were all gonna listen to music. That's it's like that's what the venue presents itself as, right? Yeah. Well, it's like if you end up driving some people away that were planning on just going and drinking that night, you're gonna drive two people away and bring in four. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? Like that's just you got to take that sacrifice sometimes, and then you know those people are gonna be back tomorrow anyway. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's up to the bands too. I mean, you have to you have to promote yourself. You have For to sure. sell tickets or if you're doing that. I mean, you you can't just not do that. And yeah. it, it can be exhausting. It can be hard. But, like, the... I remember, like, at peak, peak ETU stuff, we were able to, like... We could sell, like, pre-sale maybe 100, 150 tickets just by ourselves, but we'd still bring in 300 people just by draw. But it took a long time to get to that level. Yeah. But we door to door those ticket sales. We were on people like your status for tickets. You message them like, and it and it seems like you know as a local band in Billings, like oh man, that's a really like sharky way to know. But it, whatever Billings works, man. is so slow. Like people will wait until the last minute for everything here. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're playing a show and it'll be like five minutes before you go on. You got tickets left? No, dude, it's sold out. Like you, you, you messaged me a month ago for tickets. It's just what happens. So you just have to do that stuff, you know. Right. Well, the bottom line is, if you get people in there to see you, that's this last show. We had a few people that had never seen. We don't. We've only played, you know, a handful of shows. Yeah. But there was people who had seen us for the first time, and they come up to me after the show like, "Dude, let me know when your next show is." So the only way you can get people like confident in your band is they gotta see you. They're yeah. either gonna like you or they're not. Yeah. But if they like you, they'll be back. Oh yeah, definitely. So if you sell those tickets, that's asses and seats. That equals eyes on you. Yeah. Well, and that's you know that's what goes far in. People would always would always ask us, and I don't obviously want to reference my old man all the time, but it's a lot of it's the, the examples what you that know. I have. It's what you know. Um, but like people would always ask us, like, how do you um, how do you play those big shows? Like, what do you guys do? It's like, we sell tickets on our own shows, and for those, and we recorded. You know, it doesn't matter where you. We have a, enough of a good quality recording that gets us accepted. So like. The way it works is a, a touring act will come into town. The touring manager will be like, okay, we have a slot open for a local if you have one. And then the 
booking manager of the venue will go and he'll present let's say four bands and they'll they'll look at the four bands and they'll say okay um where's the recording for this one they don't have one so they're out like if they don't hear you or at least can know what you sound like they might not take the shot so it's really the tour manager that decides who you play now the not the catch 22 but the added bonus if you sell tickets and they know that you can sell they'll be like yeah we'll take an event so like we sold tickets like we played with uh we played with Nonpoint. Mm. That's still to to this day probably one of my favorite shows I've ever played and one of the best shows we ever played. But half that crowd, I can honestly say we brought half that crowd because we sold the tickets. But I mean, I, after that, they were all there for Nonpoint. But right. but like, I mean, it was it was a lot of our fans in the crowd, and that's that's what I mean. It's like you you have to do that work to get to that level to be able to start playing those shows and doing those things. I've been out of that game for a while, so I'm not really sure if that's how, you know, let's example the pub station operates, you know, now that, like, Carrie's gone, and I think he left the pub. Yeah, that's um, what I heard. I don't know who's doing booking there um, now, but at least in my time, that's that's what you had to do, mm-hmm. you know. I remember the first show we ever played for Sean was at the rail yard, and it was um, Capture the Crown. And we had sold, like, a hundred... We, like, sold the rail yard out, which is not... I mean, the rail yard held, like, 120 people, maybe, comfortably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) At the fire code level. Um, And we had sold the rail yard out with ticket sales. And that was, like, a... That was a big turning point for us, because he's like, all right, I'll back you guys. Well, yeah, once they see you can bring a crowd, like, that is the biggest thing, Mm because nobody wants you if they can't sell, you know, beer, sell... Yeah, and especially at that time, it was... 2013 2014 so Mm -hmm. like majority of our band was under 21 yeah so like like our um crowd base our fan base a lot of them were people we went to high school with or friends and they were all under you know underage so your venue loses out on a bunch of money that way and it is important like for beer and stuff like that that is important to to get them into an older crowd and and sell them so if you can if you can prove that now it's now it's like something i don't even think about yeah, because yeah. it's like it's oh, easy I'm now 20 27 now so whatever yeah. you know but yeah i totally agree it's it's all about the work and the ethic that you you put into it and then just making sure that you um i don't want to sound like bigger big for my britches or conceited or anything but like helping like everybody else like when you kind of figure out the the way to do it you just kind of help everybody else like uh we i remember when Silverbow society and i think they changed their name to gray joy now yeah yeah yeah. um when they were first I mean, they were like 16 when they were mm-hmm. playing the pub station but like we told them like this is what you do you sell tickets you get your friends to come no matter what and you will be able to play like the and then they they just went crazy also because they were insane at 16. I wish I was that good at 16. Right. Watching Connor and and Ty and Caleb and um Trevor, Trevin, sorry, Trevin. Um play like dude, they played a Welcome Home one time. Yeah, yeah, I us. saw that. Oh my god, like I just remember even Ryan Hayes from Righteous Vendetta was there, and he's looking at me like, I was like, these kids are like 17, dude. He's like, are you serious? Like, it, they were so good. They're so good. And that's one thing I love about this local scene, and and even though, like, I haven't really 
been a part of it for a while, like um, actively. It's just how much talent we have in Billings. Like it, we have so many good musicians. Oh, I know, and dude. I mean, our guitar player Drew. I never heard of him exactly. before. Exactly. Well, this is his first band. Yeah. He's he's just turned thirty. Yeah. And so like, there's hidden talent that nobody knows about. Uh huh. Like that was just a fluke that we found him. Yeah. That's I know he he's super good. Yeah. He is a super good guitar player. Um. And that's the thing. I was like, where did this guy come from? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's great. And that that's a, the thing, like I said, I love about the scene is that there's so much talent here. And when everybody works together and everybody wants to do the same thing, it's really beautiful. Like, Well, and that's one of the biggest, that's one of the hardest things is getting, you know, four and five people to be able to work together and have the same drive, have the same, you know. Oh, yeah. Vision and motivation and. Yeah. And not. You know, just to be able to compromise and work together, because not everyone has the same you know idea of what they want. You just kind of got to like make it your own, and it's, sometimes yeah. that takes a while, and sometimes it just happens naturally. Yeah, definitely. I think too, like motivation's a big thing. Too. Oh, for it's sure. Like, I think there's a lot of people that like, oh yeah, I play in a band on the weekends, you know, whatever. That's yeah. cool. But for some of us, like, if you want to, if you know, like, the people that you're going to play with, don't look at it that way. It, it makes might, it hard. It makes it hard, and it might not be the place for you. Yeah. You know, like, for for us, like, I mean, not to say the ship has sailed, but as far as the way the music industry works now, it's achieving, like, a touring-level status and stuff like that is not, it's not, like, the first thing. Right. Now I've figured out, like, I started um, learning, like, production and stuff and music recording last year okay um i kind of took that shutdown time um my last job i was working at uh we had we would have like a week on a week off still get paid which was nice but they'd split our teams up because we had different like branches closed and so i'd had this whole week off and i had nothing to do i was like well instead of playing like games i have this recording software i just bought like I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna be self-sufficient now. I'm tired of like having to pay somebody to do this or waiting for masters to get done. Like I was like, I'm just gonna do this for myself and for my friends and manmates and stuff. And so I took that pandemic time and I I taught myself how to record. And now I see the music industry in just a totally different way. Like mm-hmm. way more different. Like. Like your your podcast is not a hundred percent music dedicated, right? You talk about everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But think about like what you were a musician, so you're using it for music now. Yeah. You know, like uh, my buddy streams on Twitch, and he knows a bunch of big Twitch guys. So now what I'm I'm trying to get into Twitch, not streaming, because I don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. I've I've thought about that, like the YouTube thing, and this, I just don't have time to do that. I would love to, but um. I, I wrote him an intro and an outro for his streams. You know, um, he's like, well, we could, here's like a few streamers that have like these stories that went viral. What if we wrote a song for them about their stories? Hmm. And then they could play it. Like we wrote one for his, uh, his buddy makes like 70 grand a year just on Twitch. And we wrote a song um, for his Twitch channel. And he played it like 12 times. Or I think like and uh, like 30,000 people ended up seeing it or something like that. Damn, that's cool. Yeah. So like it was like, man, there's so much more here than just playing. And, and that's always going to be my favorite part is that. But the now, live performance. Yeah. yeah but it's now, become very digital. Definitely. But now like I could learn the better I get at recording, 
I can start recording people or doing work for people. When I was in high school, I thought I was going to go to Musician Musicians Institute, you know, go out there and be like a session artist and play on records and stuff and then get called to go on tours. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and now it's like I have that ability now. Um, there's a gentleman, his name's Michael Sweet. Um, I don't know if you're friends with I've him heard on of Facebook. That, yeah, he's got his own um, band. And it's, I think it's just him, okay. really. But he just came out with a, an EP, and I did a solo on it. You know, he just asked me to do a solo ad. And, like, one afternoon, I kicked over some tracks and, and did it for him. So, like, the, the opportunities that are more present by doing stuff like that have just been much more fruitful for me mm-hmm. versus trying to, like, just get a band going and just go on tour, which is not saying that I'm not d- doing that. I'm not doing that. I was told not to talk about anything. But um, who told you that? People in the band that I'm not in. Oh, okay, okay. <clears throat> well, I was gonna ask you what you've been currently doing as yeah. far as like music, but you were saying you've been doing like the Twitch stuff and like just doing like little side projects here and there. Yeah, and then I've been doing my own stuff too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I've di- I just released my first um, solo single. Um, I started writing that back in September, and I had Justin Olmstead from Righteous Vendetta mix and master it for me. Um, that that part I'm not good at yet. Mixing and mastering is still like I can track no problem and track good, but mm-hmm. man, mixing and mastering is still a whole another another ball game. But I'm getting better at it. It's definitely like learning another instrument. Oh, I'm and, sure. Yeah, and really fine tuning your ears to know what sounds good. And you know, hours and hours of going through YouTube and tutorials and is a lot. Um, but so I'm doing the solo stuff and I'm gonna do a solo album too. Cool. I don't know when that's going to come out. Um, like, with my solo song, I recorded everything. I, I wrote the drums in the computer. I did the bass. I did the guitars. I purposely didn't do vocals because I wanted to focus on the instrumentation first. I wanted to see, can I can I write all of this by myself without any interjection? I'll get to vocals later. You know, like, because I have a plan for that, too. Um like so my solo record I want to do kind of a half instrumental half um uh, vocal driven album it's going to be it's just it, it doesn't have a necessarily like a like a definite genre sound or anything like that but it's going to be a very collective like type of album like I want to use some of the Billings music scene people to do vocals on it or to do a guitar solo or drums or well, something let me know. different. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it definitely. I mean, I already have like um, three or four songs like written for it. I'm definitely going to sing on it too. For sure. That's um, something that I've been, you know, going down the path of is also doing vocals too. I've always done like back vocals and, and stuff like that, but now I'm trying to take a more of a, not a full lead approach, but I, I have a lot more of a, Sorry. Um, a lot more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a lead approach, but like a much more center vocal than sure. I used to. Um, especially in the new group that I'm not in. <laughs> uh, which I'm not going to reveal anything of because I was told not to. Fair Even enough. though I, it's not really that big of a deal, but I'll, I'll be respectful. Under wraps, it's in the works, everything's moving Yeah, on. I mean, I think I, I think I, I think I did hints somewhere that I have a have a group and we're doing things and I'm you know about it I do yeah, yeah. um 
But if they want to keep it a little under wraps, that's fine. I mean, it'll come out when it needs to come out. Yeah, and hopefully hopefully soon we've been casting some ideas. But, like, I just work on my solo stuff now. Um, in my off time, I'm not doing that. Um, I'm tracking for that and trying to do the Twitch thing. But, yeah, it's really, like, what I'm doing is just kind of being everywhere um, as much as I can, you know. Um, right on having a new a new job where I'm doing all that training is is very stressful and so it it's it takes, hard being it a musician time and, dude yeah it's hard to be a musician and be an adult at the same time yeah and then sometimes you go in there and you're like oh, I'm gonna record I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do that I'm not gonna do this I'm gonna play Xbox That's, yeah just yeah by the end of the day you're just exhausted and yeah you just or to... you just play something else too like for sure like I like to go and find backing tracks on YouTube and just jam to those or I'll jam to some cover songs or something. Just do something different, you know. Um, that's what I like to do. So, right. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to talk about some things other than music. But bef- sure. But before we move on, um, I, what's give me like one or two of your like best memories as far as just playing on stage or anything in music. It doesn't just have to be. It could be something you saw. It could be, you know, something somebody you met. Anything like that? Um, I think. I think one of my best memories of playing on stage was that non-point show for sure. Because there was one. I think we were like three songs in. We were only playing thirty minutes, so we played like seven songs. But we were like three songs in, and I don't know if it's the way we played, or maybe because of half the crowd like they came for us. I don't know. I don't know what it was that night. But every single thing just clicked. Yeah. And the crowd, dude, they were just so nuts. Like, we'd tell them to jump, they would jump. We'd tell them to do a circle pit, we had a big old circle pit. Like, that that show for me was, like, one of my highlights because I just could feel, I was like, geez, this is what, like, big bands feel for their own stuff. Like, this is crazy, dude. It, right. I, just, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. So that was definitely one of my favorite shows. Still one of my favorite shows to this day. Um, Nonpoint were really cool too. Um, I've met them before, just yeah. from seeing them. At yeah, the show. they were they were super cool. Um, some of the coolest musicians I ever met, um, not from playing, but I got to meet Howard Jones when oh damn um, Devil you well it was Devil you know now it's like the Torch um, when they played here. Um, thanks thanks to Ruger he got me backstage and I got to meet Howard so that was a big deal. Very that cool. was really sweet. Um, some of the coolest guys we ever played with was Alien Ant Farm. They were just, they watched our whole show. They were out there with Soundcheck. Um, after they were done, like, uh, sound checking, they invited us on stage and we were checking out all their gear and they were just talking. They were like, it was like you and I just talking. I yeah. mean, they were just hanging out. It was super, super cool. They were really cool guys. I'll never forget how they treated us. Like, they treated us like we were a part of their you know their group they invited us to go for drinks afterwards and stuff and i think i don't know if nate and uh big mac went out and did that with them i don't know i fell asleep i went home. oh my god i i know i like got invited to go hang out with alien ant farm and i went home and i fell asleep and i woke up and i yeah i think Bummer. andre will probably correct me if he watches this but i'm pretty sure he texted me like dude where were you damn and i just i just passed out dude um like Show days were always stressful for me because, like, I kind of took that leadership role, you know, in that band and, like, kind of ran it. You know, Andre was right there with me, too, but, like, I'd make sure, like, I'd do all the set lists. I'd 
plan all that, make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be. You know, we got all the gear. Like I just kind of took that leadership role and, um, takes a lot sometimes. It it mentally took a lot. For sure. So that was one, um, best concert I ever went to was the Eagles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause that like my family's huge. Was that in Bozeman or? No, it was here. Oh, it was here at the Metro. Um, but I think, I think all together, like the last kicking karma show in December, well, not last December, but the December before the shutdown, I think it was the last show my dad and I went to just me and him. That was probably one of my favorite shows just cause I got to hang out with my dad and we got to listen. We, you know, I grew up on eighties and stuff like Sammy Hagar and Ozzy and of course all that kind of stuff. So like that has always been a very big connection part mm-hmm. for my family and my brothers and, and everybody. So that was probably my, if I have to pick my favorite show, that's my favorite show. Sweet. It's King and Karma. Did I ever tell you I, uh, I met ghost. Oh, did you really? Yeah. Like, we didn't know it was Ghost, you know, but we yeah. knew it was, you know, because me and Kyle, Moreland, yeah. we went and saw him. He's and... going to be a dad. I know, it's crazy. The Glen. <laughs> the Glen. I, I saw him post about something yesterday, and I was like, the Glen. It's pretty crazy. But yeah, we saw him in uh, Missoula, and we ended up going to a bar right by the Wilma. Oh, I think my uncle went to that show. Really? Yeah. It was like Columbus Day or something? Yeah, it, yeah, it was uh, like Memorial Day, or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I remember I had the day off and I had the opportunity to go and I didn't realize it. Oh damn! I know. Yeah, we went to a. We just went to a bar nearby and we were telling the bartender about it and how they're from like Sweden and yeah. this and that. And bartender comes up to us. He's like, "Where'd you say those guys were from?" And we're like, "Sweden." He goes, "Oh well, all these dudes that just walked in have Swedish IDs." And we're like, "What?" And sure enough, we we're talking to like a drum tech that was sitting there just bullshitting with oh, us, really? telling about all the bands he's toured with. And I was like, "So any of these guys in the band?" And he goes. I'm not allowed to tell you. And I was like, okay, well, you just told me. Yeah. So I, I just walked up and introduced, I just was like, hey, I don't know if you're in the band or not, but great show. And I definitely met Tobias Forge because, yeah. you know, I just remember seeing him. And then a few years later, oh, dude. It, it came out that he, uh, that guy is such, I don't give a crap what anybody says about Ghost. You can hate their music or not. That I love man Ghost. is one hell of a musician and mm-hmm. a songwriter. Like he's honestly one of my heroes. He I love just, Ghost. Yeah, I we my brother and I. So my younger brother and I are four years apart, but our birthdays are a day apart. So mm. we've always shared a birthday. So now what we started doing is we go to concerts every year for our birthday, and he, whoever's birthday like alternate who pays for it. Well, last um, 2019, I keep saying last year, like we had a normal year. Yeah, last yeah. Year. Um, the last last time we went, we went to Ghost. We saw Ghost in Denver. And Way dude, cool. oh my god! Where was that at? That was at the Loveland. It was in Loveland, Colorado. Oh, okay. So it was like at the Budweiser Center, sure. Which was like a, it's like twice the size of the Metro. But you know how like when you play, when you like go to the Metro and they close off the back part, and you can't go backstage. Does not it's not the way there. Their whole ring is open, so we got to go backstage and see all of the stuff backstage. Interesting. It was really cool. It was really cool, and I don't know if like. They just didn't do it, if that's, like, something no normally do, but it was sweet. Either way, you got like, to do it. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, I'm a big, I'm a music, I'm a big nerd. I like mm-hmm. the production. I want to see the gear and all, all that, and, like, I love that stuff. So, that was, that was really cool. That show was incredible, dude. Like, you want to talk about one of the tightest bands ever. Ghost is hands down one of the best performing bands I've ever seen. Like he has picked, handpicked the best musicians that play his stuff, and that's what's so cool about it. It's like all the stuff you hear on the record. Yeah, he'll hire people to play certain things, but like for the most part, all the guitar stuff is all him. 
all the vocals they're all him you know some of the drums are him so mm -hmm. he's just um he's just an incredible musician like he's kind of for me he's kind of like Dave Grohl like he well, can do it all and didn't Dave Grohl play in he, Ghost he played for a short on time? one of their uh, EPs he just oh, so okay. so the EP that they did all the covers on it's got like if you have ghosts and it's got a couple different covers he played drums on I don't know if he did the whole EP. I know he did one or two of the songs, and then he produced that EP. So okay. he wasn't in Ghost. Um, there's never really been super famous people in Ghost. I think the keyboard player, one of the gals, played with Rob Zombie for a long time. Uh, that's in the band now. And then uh, one of the guitar players' name is Par Alzen, and he played... What did he play? He played in some like Swedish black metal band, like super heavy stuff. But for the most part, none of the guys are like super known musicians. I think he kind of picks like the smaller, because I mean, you try to get a super known musician in that band, they, they'd be touring Ghost because they sell out everywhere they go. Mm -hmm. You know, that band is just propelling. And now that Cardinals of Papa Four, you know, um, they're gonna have a new record and it's gonna it's gonna be huge. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait. For, I loved Prequel. I I thought it was incredibly written. Yeah, there wasn't like as many like heavier songs like the last Meloria, um, but some of the writing on that album was just amazing. Yeah, like and that's the thing is like I don't and I'm sure you don't do this either. You don't listen to music passively. You know, just use it to buy time or like. Yeah, or listening to music, kind of just enjoying what it sounds yeah, yeah. like. You're analyzing it, you know, yeah. right? You're a songwriter. You're analyzing the lyrics, how he's singing. Like, that's how I listen to music too. And like, when uh, my wife and I listen to music, she she hates it sometimes because I'm just breaking it apart. But I can't help it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's just, what I do. It's just like anybody, you know? like an actor is going to break apart a movie, and like, yeah. or anybody who's part of any production is going to break it apart the way they see it from their eyes. Yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah, I I loved um yeah that whole album back to front this is great but the next record he said it's gonna be a little darker so I'm excited for that very cool um you brought up your dad mm -hmm. and we were talking about it before the show a little bit and I know you probably you wanted to talk about him a little bit yeah and we don't got to get too crazy into details and stuff but I'll let you kind of just take the lead on that um you are one of the very few people that I know personally who did lose somebody to covid mm -hmm. which is you know that i my condolences thank you first of all i don't think i ever actually like told you that to face to face yeah. well, i appreciate it but uh i know that was a really tough time um especially with the whole like you couldn't be there with him and stuff like that and yeah dude i can't even imagine like and i think that stuff honestly everybody has their opinion we talked about that too yeah. and like i just think that aspect of it is pretty like harsh on not just the patient, but on the family. Well, where... yeah, and what we found out too now is that um, I'll try to like be as vague as possible, so I don't like throw anything under the bus, you know. But like, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say a little bit like what we found out now is all the rules changed. Yeah, because of how my family, like, when my dad was up there, they had seven people up there. They were not overran. They, you know, like. Yeah, it was like really in the beginning. So so we know more about the virus than we did previously. But at that point we didn't. So like I'm just looking through like Facebook memories seeing like posts that I would make about the like and how much different I feel about it now versus how I felt about it then and going through that experience. 
but it's because we just didn't know much about it. So, like, there was, like, seven people up there. And, like, they wouldn't let just my mom go up. And, like, she... So my dad got it. My little brother got it and got sick. My mom had it but was asymptomatic. Technically, I had it, not at the same time, but recently, um, and was asymptomatic because I had the antibodies in my blood when I donated blood. Oh, okay. my, my wife had it um, over um, Thanksgiving. She was pretty sick. Um, and she is... Um, she doesn't have a... She got her thyroid ablated, so she had hyperthyroidism. So she... I was a little more worried about her getting it just because, like, that just wrecks your immune system. And that's and that's the thing about the virus is, like, yeah, for people like us that are younger, it's much easier to shake off. But if you do have an issue that where your body's not fast enough, it can be pretty deadly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can be. And for my dad, he wasn't... He wasn't, like, the healthiest person in the world. no. I can honestly tell you that, you know, he was on dialysis and stuff, but he wasn't unhealthy to a point where that should have killed him. What mostly what it was, was not the virus that killed him. It was the lack of understanding and the lack of care. And I don't mean that in a negative way of like people who are caring for him. It was the ideology of, We don't know what it is. We don't know how to deal with it. You know, he basically, he should have been, when he got there, he was fine. He was kind of sick, you know, had the pneumonia aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And now what they do when that happens, they stick you right in the ICU, right? So you can be on the oxygen. They didn't do that for my dad. He literally was in a room and just deteriorated because they weren't giving him anything. They weren't doing anything for him. When was this? This was in um, July. Okay, yeah, so real... Real, real early, early. Yeah. you know, and it's weird to think about like that was early, but realistically, we shut down in March. That's mm-hmm. you know a few months, and it didn't. And even with the shutdown, it didn't really start coming. No, until here the until, late summer, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, my dad like as an people always. Well, what was his conditions? Well, yeah, yeah, he was immunocompromised, but for the most part, though, it really should not have affected him the way it is, the way it did. And that's that's what sucks about it so much is that like man if he would have if he would have been able to go to the ICU the first day and just had that care would it have been different you know if they would have given him the vitamins or the hydrocoxychloroquine whatever that is yeah. like anything just anything but because he was a dialysis patient they were worried about how you know they were going to facilitate that and give him certain things because once you do that you can't take certain drugs. Or, you know, have certain medications because of how it affects your your kidneys. And, like, for him, he still had, like, 20% function. He just had kidney disease. Like, that's – it's just, you know, something that happened. Mm -hmm. But that – I don't like to think in my head that is what actually caused him to pass from it. Because I've seen people that were healthier than him. Uh, My friend's grandpa passed away. Didn't have – a lot of the same ailments, but it just it just happens. There's just sometimes people's bodies can't handle it. Well, and everybody, it seems just from everything I've heard, like some people just deal with it differently. Like it's just it's just like anything, really. Yeah. Though they say your blood type, I've you heard know, that has too. a lot. Like Savannah didn't get too too sick. She lost her taste and her smell and stuff, and um, she she got she never had like the super high fever. I know my other buddy, he, my brother, when he had it, he got all this. He was super sick, mm. you know, but he's 22, 23. So 
he can, you know, fight that a little bit better. But he had to wear a heart monitor afterwards because his, like, heart, he'd just randomly have, like, palpitations. Hmm. And he had a heart defect when he was born that was fixed. So maybe that could have been connected, but something... See, that's what's so weird about it is, like, it triggers things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, And that's the thing. It's like I, I was saying to you earlier, is, like, I... I totally am a person that believes that, like, people that are younger, people that are, um, that are healthy. That's the main thing. The, the, the numbers don't lie. It's a 97% survival rate. You do all the right things, take care of yourself, you know, take your vita, take your vitamins. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I take a multivitamin every day. So does Savannah. We take a vitamin C. I, I haven't gotten, knock on wood, I have not gotten sick at all since last year and I don't even think I had corona when she was sick the whole time I didn't even get it Mm -hmm. so I thought until I saw the antibody so I must have had it either way your body fought it off if you you did have it Mm -hmm. yeah so I think that yeah as as us young people sure we'll we'll be fine it's not a big deal but there are there are people that are immunocompromised that it will affect just like the flu does just like any other virus will and I think that some of the a lot of it is exaggerated. A lot of it is just over the top. Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, like, did I not go see my 90-year-old grandmothers for quite a while? Yes. Did they get the vaccine? Yeah, they did. They should. They're mm-hmm. older. You know, I, I hate to say this about my gram, both of my grandmas, but they're 90. You know, they, they have lived a full, full-on life, you know, and if the vaccine doesn't work and they get it, I hate to say that, but I mean, it's like, yeah, it makes sense. But, even, right? but they're still in that group where it's like, they're the ones who should be taking exactly. it. Exactly. Like, they're the ones. If we're going to protect the older population, but not have to shut everything down, then give them, then that's what they should give them. For sure. You know, and a lot of the older people from what we've seen or what I've seen, my grandmas haven't had any side effects. They just got their second shots a, a few weeks ago. And and I don't think it, I mean, these companies are going to put out this vaccine and have it kill a bunch of people. Like, how how would that look on them? You well, know what I mean? Yeah, and that's a. I mean, there's so many conspiracy there theories are, that there run are. through, dude. It's like, but okay. that's been the entire year, just yeah, conspiracy after like, conspiracy. Well, and there's still people that don't like. You don't have to believe everything with it, right? You don't have to believe that you need a vaccine. You don't have to believe that it does this, that, and this. But at least acknowledge that it is real. Yeah, for it, sure. It, it is real. I mean, my dad wouldn't have had to go to the hospital had he not been sick. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it is a real thing. So that that's one thing I, I get, like, with clients and customers and stuff in, like, my industry is, like, they're still, well, you know, it's a hoax. I was like, yeah, well, tell that to my dad and tell that to my buddy's grandpa. Like, it, people died from it. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's, that's, one, that's, like, one place where it's a 50-50 between people where they agree or they disagree with it. it but I'm not. I mean, I I don't believe in the shutdown thing. I don't. I'm not rushing out to get a vaccine. Like I'm just. I'm. I do my own research. I'm smarter than that. And I would rather, if if truthfully, the vaccine is truly gonna be what gets it all better. I would rather the older population get it. Well, that's what it's meant to do. Is like because if you get the vaccine, from what I know, from what I've heard, mm-hmm. you it stops you from like getting it or at least you know yeah the symptoms and all that it'll fight it off but you can still transmit it yeah so it's like if they 
if the older population gets it first, like we can still transmit the disease and catch it, whatever, you know, but at least if we're transmitting it, we're not transmitting it to the people who are going to, right. You know? Yeah. And like, it doesn't make sense for us to get the vaccine, like the younger population to get the vaccine first and then still be able to transmit it to the vulnerable. Yeah. And I don't know if you saw, um, the whole video of Rand Paul. I did see that. Yeah. Going after, I don't believe a word the dude says, not Rand Paul Fauci. I I think he's an idiot. Just a puppet. Uh, just like a lot of them. Yeah, just like all I mean, like, I, I'll i go with what the... I mean, the CDC has changed a lot from... And I get it, like, people... As you're learning I, more about it. And that's the key. Like, people are going to... Well, they told us not to wear a mask. Now it's a hoax. That doesn't mean anything. They told us that cigarettes were good for us. Yeah. Like, now we know it caused cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely don't... I don't pay attention to the media. I don't pay attention to him. Um, I just do my own research. I also just don't worry about it. It doesn't... It might have taken my dad from me, but it doesn't control my life. It doesn't scare me. I'm still going to go to shows. I'm still going to play music, you know, because that's what my dad would have done, too. My dad wore a mask. He did Mm -hmm. all the things he was supposed to do. You know, Savannah wears PPE when she's in the hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. She wears a mask. She got it. Is that what she's going to school for? She's a um, radiologic technologist, so she Damn. takes x-rays. Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's just about to graduate here in May. So Very cool. Yeah. Well, rather than focusing so much on, like, all that with your dad, I'd rather hear, like, you know, stories and things that, like, good memories that you have with your dad, you know? Like, it's thing for other people to, to you know... Yeah, definitely. Well, my take dad was... County sheriff for 30, 30 years, so you know, like I grew up around like law enforcement, and that that was a really huge part of my life, you know, the jail and everything like that. So, hey, I have that too, just yeah. on a different spectrum yeah. of, the, right. of that aspect. So, ah, uh, yeah, we've all have those family members. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. can tell you a lot of stories about that one too, but um, you know, like that was a that was always a big a big thing. So I always have a you know a different. I, I think there's a lot of people, especially right now in the political climate and the social climate, oh, but no back the blue and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't really buy into the whole back the blue. I don't, I don't, I don't do the social things. Like, if you, I mean, I know you and I are friends on Facebook and stuff. I never post anything political. I, I've I gotten to that point too. I, myself. I just don't. I just don't do it because it's one. It's just disgusting on social media. It's such a cancerous, horrible groups to be a part of whether they're positive or not it just breeds social media completely breeds negativity if i didn't have music to promote and do things with i would not have social media 110 percent. well it's like the only thing the only thing that doing that does is you're not changing anybody's mind if you post your political views the only thing you're doing is like Shouting out from the rooftop, like, "Hey, this is what I believe." Echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, "Hey, I'm a good guy. Like, I like this stuff." Or, "Hey, like, it's just that's all it is. Like, it's just, it's not. You're not changing anybody's mind. The only thing you're doing is like riling people up, or like getting people to be like, "Oh yeah, like that guy. We we're on the same page. We fight the same fight." Yeah, that's not how it is. Like, I'll do that with music. (laughs) Oh yeah, dude. Like. When it comes to just, like, uh, the things I like to post are just funny stuff, things that are going to make people laugh, or just, like, if it's some, like, quote that's, like, you know, uplifting. Yeah. Like, yeah, keep politics and shit out of it. When did politics become this, like, 
hot topic that everybody wanted to be a part of. Like, I, it used to I be politics were boring and yeah. nobody gave a fuck. Well, I think it's because, um, I mean, and say what you will about the last president, but like, there's so many groups that were saying like he he's gonna wake a lot. He did. Yeah, he did. I, I think that's like what I mean by that is like he got so because of what like all the things that were happening and like. I don't think anybody's been as engaged in polit- politics as they are now. Yeah, oh, for sure. Because of that. So, I mean, again, no matter what anybody's opinion on that is, he did wake a lot of people up into to like just paying attention, mm-hmm. being more involved. And on that note, I need to use the restroom. Deal. We'll take a little break. All right. We're back from a short pee break. Uh, I do want to circle back and just finish off talking about your dad. If you have any, like, specific memories or just anything you want to share about him, maybe, just to close that out. Yeah, I don't know if I have a specific memory. Um, my dad was always super supportive. Like, you were you were saying that, you know, you always saw him at shows. He was every single show I ever played, unless he was sick or something. It's something that he... So my whole family is musical on both sides. My aunt writes for country artists. My brother played guitar. We all played in orchestra, you know, um... My cousins play. My, one of my cousins is one of the best slide players I've ever seen. Um, my uncle. I mean, like, everybody in my family except for my mom and dad. My dad, bless his heart, tries to sing, <laughs> but, you know, not really much of a singer. But, I mean, he does. But he, he just, like, I grew up so involved in music. But my parents never pushed me to do that and I think that was always kind of cool for my dad like I never really talked to him about it but I always kind of thought that it was cool for him because it wasn't something he like it it wasn't something they had to make me do you know like my dad was always supportive I'm one of three boys my older brother and I played baseball he was always the coach my younger brother played football you know he was every football game all that kind of stuff um so like my parents both i mean my whole family comes to my grandma even comes to my shows and stuff nice so like i think it was cool for him because he never had to push like i think some parents like you know oh you're gonna do sports you're gonna do this i know when i have kids i definitely gonna have them play music but from a loving way and not like you need to play music because i do and i think for him it was cool because i was just so into something and it was something that he liked too it was always something that we could you know connect on and i think it was a really cool thing for him to see how it worked you know like being in a band i don't think he always went to concerts he told me like he you know my dad always knew everybody any place we go he would run into somebody anywhere we could be anywhere and he would know somebody right you know and he grew up in california when he was a teenager and stuff so he went to all the big concerts and so he knew a lot of the people. He'd get backstage and he'd hang out with all the artists and all that kind of stuff. And I think being in a starting with like my band was kind of propelling a little bit and getting to do those shows and stuff. You know, he loved all the new stuff that we liked too. And so he got to see his some of his new favorite acts or people like that. And he got to be more a part of it because I was in the band. You know, you know he was the band dad. He was the roadie. He was the guy. So. I think it was just kind of cool for him. He he really supported me, and not to say, I mean, my mom supports me 100% too, sure. but I remember, like, I remember being 14 and learning how to play guitar. My brother had 
an acoustic, just a Yamaha acoustic, just like that. It's what I learned on. Mm-hmm. I taught myself how to play um, Paranoid, Black Sabbath's the first song. I taught myself how to read taps. I just, for whatever reason, I decided that day I was going to pick up the guitar and just play it. And I, I played violin since I was 12, so I played orchestra all the way through school. and So I had a music, I had the ear, I had the, the knowledge, at least for a little bit at that time, to do it. And I remember like six months of being self-taught. I took some lessons, and I just kept begging my dad, like, buy me, please buy me an electric guitar, like a real guitar. Like I had one of those like toy, you know, $100, everybody gets one of those type of guitars. And I I had actually taken it apart when I was younger, so it was like in pieces. I'm like, I can't play this, you know. So I just begged and begged. I remember my dad taking me and my mom taking me to the guitar store, right when Guitars and Amps had just opened. And I didn't know that Jay had a shop before, and it was called, like, the Pro Shop or something like that. People, older people, like, tell me that all the time. But Guitars and Amps was the new store. I went to Hanson's. I didn't really like anything there. I really wanted, like, an SG-type guitar. But I I don't know why I didn't want just an Epiphone SG, because I was really, like, into Tony Iommi and stuff. So I, like, I want an SG. It's so cool. Mm. And... I just couldn't find anything. I played a bunch of guitars. I went to Eckroth, went to Hanson's, didn't like it. Then we went back to Guitars and Amps. And at this point, like, my dad, he's just enjoying the time. My mom's fed up at this point. She just wants to go home. And I find um, Matt Gilg from Farthest Edge. Didn't even know who he was at this point. But um, he was working at Guitars and Amps when it opened. And he pulled off a black Schecter Omen 6, which is my first guitar. I still have it. Still play it. Um... And that, I don't know what it was about that guitar, but that, I didn't know anything about brands. I didn't know about Ibanez. I knew Gibson. I knew Fender. Like, I knew the the big ones. Mm-hmm. Never heard of Schecter before. And a lot of people, like, like to tell me, oh, you play Schecter because Avenged Sevenfold plays Schecter. Didn't even know that. Didn't even know that. But I picked that guitar off, and it just, that was it, dude. That was it. I was like, this is the guitar for me. And I got a little Spider 3 Line okay, 6 yeah. amp, you know. And I think altogether, altogether, I think my dad, it was like 400 bucks for the whole thing, or like five, four, almost that much. My mom was like freaking out. She's like, you better play this. Like, you know, like yeah, yeah, just yeah. that whole, like, this better not be a waste of money and, and stuff. And I was just like, babe, I was like, please buy this. So that's how my dad was always supportive. Like, he, he, he knew he was going to get some flack, and I'm not throwing you under the bus, mom. Um, but, uh, I think he always knew he'd get flack from my mom or something like that for doing stuff, but he always wanted to give us the best childhood. Cause his childhood wasn't... You had something pull up. Oh, something different. Okay. Go ahead. All right. The computer crashed, folks. Yeah, we just, you know... We've had some technical difficulties, um, we're keeping an eye so, on it. So, uh, you know, like, he, he had a difficult childhood, and, you know, he, he always put us before himself. That's just who my dad was. Like, I remember he bought his first ever like super nice like he bought a 2013 truck i think it was like two years old at the time he bought it three years old that was the nicest thing he ever bought himself and i just remember my mom always saying she goes think about how much your dad buys for himself and i sat there and i was like wow nothing Hmm. but dad always provided for us and i think that's just like he always knew he'd get that flack from my mom but he he knew what he was doing you know he provided that to me so i mean i totally owe it like my song that i released voices of the dead which the reason I named that that song is not because my dad passed away. I think some people ask me about that. It's totally coincidental because I always do uh, code names for my songs instead Mm. of calling it new song or blah, blah, blah. And there was a reason the music video kind of is more of an image of why it's called Voices of the Dead. But um, like 
that was dedicated to my dad because my dad would want me to continue doing what I do, playing music, what I do. You know, he was always the proponent propelling me to push harder, be better. You know, I mean, there are times like my mom's super blunt. We play a show, she tells us we sucked. Straight to my face. You guys are horrible. Like, <laughs> you guys suck. It's always nice to have that sometimes. Yeah, too. but but my dad, like, I'd be writing riffs and stuff, and he'd be like, yeah, that's a good one. Like, I could hear him in the kitchen. I'd be writing, or he'd um, he'd be like, nah, you're, you're missing it. Something's missing there. You know, he'd always give interject like that. And then what I still to this day call my, my million-dollar riff, Primal, from Engage the Unseen, yep. When I wrote that riff, I remember him coming. He goes, what is that? And I'm like, I don't know yet, but it's going to be good. And that was still... That's such a good feeling. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that's... Yeah, he'd always tell me, he goes, you write riffs that turn people's heads. And, you know, my dad, obviously, I'm the biggest thing ever. You know, I'm his son, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, always, he always did that in a way that never made my head any bigger, though, you know. And it also didn't feel like it was just my dad saying that. It made me feel good, so... It's in a roundabout way. Those are my best, you know, memories for of sure. that. So yeah, like I was telling you earlier, just yeah. Every time I saw him, I only met him just a few times, but he was always there, always at your show, was very supportive. So that's yeah, that's definitely the memory I have of him, at least just of the few that I do. Yeah, so. and that, a lot of people have that, and uh, you know, him being in law enforcement for thirty years, there are some of my friends that met him on the other side. Sure, and they were. I mean, there were people that came to his funeral that were inmates from. I mean, people that were in jail that came 20 years ago, but they said, you know, your dad changed my life. You know, your dad, the way he talked to me was not like an officer talked to somebody. It was somebody who had dealt with things in their life that, you know, I know that sometimes can be a cliche, but really you ask anybody that knew my dad on a personal level or even on that level, they will all tell you the same thing, that he changed their lives or the way they looked at stuff. You know, that that's the number one thing I want to, you know, perpetuate about them. So it's well, cool. so what I try to do in my, my own life. Very good. That's awesome. Um, well, you said earlier you wanted to talk about fitness. So yeah, you said you were working out. Yeah. I got my, I'll show you my weight room when, uh, when we get down here, but I like, show me his weight room. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's code. <laughs> yeah. My sex dungeon. <laughs> Quite frankly, he's going to show me his weight room, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I got my weight room. I've been working out like every morning, but I just recently, uh, my sister does a, she has a CrossFit gym. Yeah. So I just did that, and that was painful. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. CrossFit's insane. It is. I don't even dabble in that. I um, I just trying it out. Just give it something. Just yeah. you know, like I, I'll still do my morning workouts and stuff, and I'll probably do that two or three times a week just to add something to yeah. it. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Too. It, like, yeah. CrossFit for me is like straight cardio. Like I don't know how much like. I mean, maybe I might be naive to it. It's kind of just all endurance. It's yeah, just, it's, it's, all, it's cardio. Yeah. It's like, you know, high intensity, long, long repetition or like multiple yeah. repetition type things. So. Which is, which is great for your body and great for that. But like, if you're trying to build muscle, I don't know if I'd, I'd go straight for CrossFit, but that's just me. Yeah. Everything's different. Everything goes, you know, so what so, have you been doing? Like, so I do, um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the ads, but I do a program called Kino Body. Okay. And it is totally changed my life completely when it comes to fitness and just how I think about like being in shape and stuff. And it, all it is, is it's a, so there's one of the programs, um, and and some people, I mean, watching this, maybe have seen the ads too. They're kind of, kind of douchey. Like Greg, the guy who designed the program, but he doesn't take himself seriously. So it's funny douchey. 
you know um, so what it is basically is it's just it's focusing on like key lifts key workouts um, caloric deficit and then I do uh, intermittent fasting too mm. uh, nutrition protocol is literally just being within my calories so I can eat whatever I want you know obviously you want to do an 80 20 split 20 split 80% healthy foods 20% ice cream McDonald's that kind of stuff but um, and so I work out th- all I do is three days a week Okay. And I do so like um in the in the program and it's a 12 week program each time depending on what you're doing. So he's got ones for like I'm on a more of like a shred define program. There's there's bulking, lean bulking, all that kind of stuff. It's one time that you pay for the program, you get um they're coming out with an app here within the next month or so, so that'll be cool. Um basically, you know, like Monday I'll go in there for um like on this protocol it's it's shoulders first so I'm doing a bunch of shoulder workouts um and then Wednesday I do my leg workouts and then Friday I'll do chest and arms and so like what what happens is is if you like work out the science behind it and a lot of the the bigger fitness guys like um I don't know if you've ever seen any of those guys on YouTube like Greg Duchette um coach Gray, he's crazy I, I don't know if I know that one but I know uh, he, dates I know, like... for plates his name's Derek or no what is it more plates more dates or something like that okay there's a lot of guys um did you ever hear of um what was it what was it Greg's program is basically built off his own knowledge and then another one called um something lean oh lean gains oh, okay it's basically what it is and like there's a lot of guys out there like youtube influencers like v shred yeah yeah dude's an idiot the dude is an idiot like every single every single person that does fitness like so greg duchette he is a world-class bodybuilder Hmm. a doctor in kinesiology like he knows what he's talking about he's like do not ever do anything this guy says because he's an idiot that's the ones that's always like uh you can eat whatever you want and still yeah. have a body like this. Yeah, well, I mean, and Greg markets that way too. Sure. I think that's just marketing. But, like, the exercises that he's doing, he does this one with a kettlebell where he goes like this uh-huh. and, like, flicks his wrist. I'm like, you're going to break your wrist doing that. Just like, yeah, Greg, okay, okay. like, he is all, he's been trained by, like, real people and stuff. And, and none of the workouts are made up. Like they're not like um, so like my shoulder workout on a Monday consists of doing standing barbell press, easy, uh, Bradford press which I had never done before. It's where you take the barbell and you come back like this and forward. Okay. Um, then I do um pendlay rows, so I'm bent over and pulling the bar up this way. I mean it's just normal workouts, right? So I never feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so do you have all your own equipment then? No, I go to the gym. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I wish I had a home gym. I don't have the space yet for that, but hopefully. So it's like, it's just a program you follow and then you just take, you know, the things he says and then you just go to the gym then? It's not like a home workout. Like one of those. You could. Gym. He's got a body weight one. That, okay, I got yeah, you. He, yeah, you could do all, if you had a home gym, yeah, you could do all this at home. For sure. Um, it, It's basically just like Monday, this is what you do. Wednesday, this is what you do. Your whole week. Um, So you're in a caloric deficit so i um which is crazy to think like usually i'm 5'10 mm-hmm. so usually like in high school i weighed like 160 pounds of nothing i was you know justin super skinny that's what i was like in high yeah. school too um 
now I weigh 190 pounds, but I'm super lean. Like, mm. I just have a bunch of muscle on me, which is crazy. I want to get down to, like, 180, 175. I've been, be like, like, 12%. I hover at 185, like, always. you like, got to cut your calories. Like well, that, I don't mind being there, like, yeah. honestly. Like, if you, like, so... It's all calories in, calories out. That's what I, I did. Sure. I did keto once. Never My, do that crap again. You can't cut food groups out. Mm-hmm. Sugar's good for you in moderation, right? Carbs are good for you. That's your body's natural energy source. Mm-hmm. So, like a day for me consists of and intermittent fasting. You don't even have to do that on this program, but I do. So intermittent fasting, all I do is I fast for sixteen hours every day. So I eat at two o'clock to eight or nine, sometimes later. I don't have to follow that, but I do because I get really bad like acid reflux and stuff in the morning. Mm. Ever since I started doing fasting, nothing. It's gone. So it just works for me as a lifestyle thing, right? But, I mean, there's times where I go to breakfast on Sunday. I'll eat at 10 in the morning. You know, I don't have to follow it. I'm not in a state where my body needs to be doing this or I'm not going to burn fat. No, I'm just – I count my calories, a certain amount of calories I eat during the day, and then I do 10,000 steps a day keep myself in a deficit and then I work out three days a week that is it and I've seen more results I've felt so much better by doing this program than I ever have doing anything else and like I promote it I haven't really like shared much on it but like to people that I know because I believe in it because it works and it's not I'm not cutting things out I'm not doing anything that is not easy I'm just counting my calories and working out three days a week and all of a sudden, I've got you know, I've got shoulders, I got mm-hmm. muscles, I got. Isn't it great to? Yeah, it's it's when incre- you start seeing results. That's oh what... yeah, it's crazy. And I like, I lost a lot of weight for my wedding and stuff, like doing keto. But like, the toll that took on my body was so hard, and then it just came back. Yeah, to to drop weight fast is not healthy, and no. then also, yeah, it just comes back real quick if you don't stay on it. Yeah, well, and this is there's a lot of lies in the fitness industry too about like diet and what you need. You don't need to work out five days a week and be in the gym for four hours. Like I know there's guys when I go to the gym that have been there for an hour already. I suppose you have to if you want to be like a bodybuilder. Yeah, but if and, you just want an average well, lifestyle, yeah, like, and that's and that's the thing is there there is a difference between being like my buddy is a um, a trainer, a bodybuilder, and he um, works out way different than you know I do. Yeah. For me, for like Greg's Greg's programs aren't designed to make you a hulking monster bodybuilder. Right. It's like his his program is called Movie Star Physique. You want to have what Daniel Craig looks like, um, you know, coming out of the ocean and James Bond, yeah, or just or like um, uh, Chris Hemsworth. He's kind of bodybuilder style. You could get as big on, the, but but he's not. But bodybuilders are like you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the big guys are. Yeah. You know. Um, like uh what's his name christian bale in okay. um as patrick bateman and mm-hmm. like like how lean he was like that's and it's real strength too it's not like i'm weak like i went starting from last year like i could barely do incline like 40 pound dumbbells uh you know on an incline bench mm-hmm. and now i've gone to doing and now i can do like seven eighties. Nice. You know, like like I've progressed and I could feel the strength and I've seen the results. So that's that's what I did in a nutshell. Um, you should check it out, dude, because it's it is a real deal. It I, is awesome. I think when it comes to any workout, whether it's just something small, light, something you know, if you're looking to do heavier weights, whether just anything, the biggest thing 
that I think a lot of people have issues with is just consistency. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. If you consistently work at it, you will eventually see results. And then, like, eventually you're going to get stronger. You're going to move up in weights. You're going to – it's always – you know, it, it doesn't even matter if it's you start patient. light. Yeah, exactly. It's and, and for me, right now, as far as anything goes, my biggest issue has always been nutrition. Yeah. And I, ha- I do try and eat relatively healthier. I don't really count my calories mm-hmm. because, like, that's never really been my issue as far as, like, I, I don't try to lose weight as much as I try and just gain muscle. Yeah. Like, well, that's calories, though, too, eating it a is, surplus. It is. So, so all you have to do is just calculate your body weight times 15. Right. So that's how many calories you're eating to maintain. Then if you want to gain weight, you're adding whatever the surplus is. Mm-hmm. Right. So doing in a surplus, you definitely... I mean, it depends on how much muscle you want to gain. Exactly. Um, you know, but I've always been more like tone. Like I just want tone. Yeah. I don't want then like, then then your deficits where you want yeah. to be. You want to drop your maintenance calorie be like six hundred, and I guarantee you start doing that for like four to eight weeks, dude. You just like exactly. It's like for me, like I feel like I've gained muscle, but I also haven't gained muscle. I've just been leaning down so much that it looks like there's yeah, more. Yeah, and and then so what my plan is is like to get to like. 10%, 12% body fat, which would be ideal for me. I mean, I'd look pretty jacked mm. at that point. And then I'm going to do a lean bulk to build a little bit more muscle because I don't want to get super big. Like, I wear, sure. I wear like tailored suits and stuff like that for work. So I get any bigger, I ain't going to be able to wear them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and like now I'm like putting on my clothes and like my shirts are like tight, but not because of But that's a good fat. feeling, it's actually. Like, it's like the opposite. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like when I, I just got this shirt, um, the other day and like it was like super tight on my shoulder I was like yeah, that's how I felt putting this shirt on I was yeah. like geez like I don't remember this being as tight as it was yeah, but it's a good it's like a good tight it is it is yeah, yeah. um I, I was gonna ask you about suits real quick just cause you brought it up yeah uh do you still work there at the suit store yeah I actually just put in my two weeks there oh okay. I don't need to work there anymore right so but I was just doing that to put Savannah through school. But uh, for the next two weeks, I do. What's a tailored suit cost? Because I've been thinking about... You know what? Well, I don't even want a suit as much as I just want, like, a nice, like, you know, vest and, and like, well, pants and... Well, so here's what I tell people that are like, well, I'm never going to wear all the whole thing. Buy the whole thing. Yeah, yeah okay. That's because, a good point. Because, like, if you don't, you're going to want... I, how many times people come in that I just want the jacket and then they'll come out oh, like the pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could just buy the whole thing because you want the combination. So like, I try to buy my suits three pieces all the time. Does I'm not gonna wear all three pieces, but, but you have it as an I option. can exactly. I have the option. Um, it really depends on what you want. So our store doesn't do any custom tailoring, like mm. custom suits. Like you go to a men's warehouse and get a pretty okay custom suit. Like I got one for my wedding for like six hundred bucks. Indochino is a website that does. They, well, they have stores too, but. They do custom. So it really depends on what you're looking to spend. Um, for what we sell, we sell some suits like uh, because we're a local company. Uh, we have another store in Rapid City. Um, we can sell a $900 suit for $499. You know, and it's 100% wool. It's super nice. And then our tailor, you know, if you want to bring the sides in, you know, we'll do the pants, the sleeves to an extent. Like, there are some stuff like you'll see ads for people in suits. Like a lot of the NFL guys are wearing suits. Those are bespoke. Those are thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're specifically getting, tailored. Yeah, bespoke means spoken for. Back in the day is what that means. Okay. Like the cloth has been spoken for. So a bespoke suit is totally from the ground up. All the canvas on the inside is constructed to you. You're not gonna find that in Billings. I mean, yeah, you could you could go to Men's Warehouse and I think they charge like twelve hundred dollars for it. 
but I mean, unless you have the budget for it, there's not really a point. Yeah. You you can go onto a website like Indochino and build a custom suit that will fit you just as well if you know what you're doing. You know, um, some of our middle of the road suits, like our three piece, cost about two thirty. So I mean, for two hundred thirty bucks, you know, you're getting a pretty good suit. Um, it just it just really depends on your budget, but quality in clothing is definitely you get what you pay for. Oh, absolutely! I think that's yeah. with everything, honestly. Yeah, but I was just curious because at some point I've I've always wanted to have like a tailored suit. Everybody should have one. It feels Every guy. great. Like I, we get a lot of guys in there that are you know cowboys and they're out there working and I'm never gonna wear this. Well, the one time that you're gonna have to, you're gonna have it. Yeah, exactly. And it's a thing. It's like it's like I try to tell people they'll come in and they'll put the suit. And I can tell they're a little uncomfortable because they've never worn it before. Mm-hmm. The first thing people do, they always do this: put their arms up to see how far the sleeves go up. Well, I was like, well, it's not what it's designed to to do. You're not going to be, you know, doing stuff That's like a good point, that, yeah. right? It, there's a certain length that you want your arm and all that kind of stuff. And I always tell them is that the clothing should never make you feel uncomfortable. You should only ever feel confident should only ever feel confident when wearing a suit and if it's measured correctly if it's you know the right the right thing for you and you feel good about it then you will feel confident and it'll change your perception like you'll feel good when you walk in like there's never a time anymore where you know and in montana it's so different but like man after work i get off work i'm still wearing a suit i'll go into the grocery store people will give me a look or i'll get smiles and stuff and it makes you feel good you know because you're you're just dressed you know you get a lot of compliments yeah and and that's Look the thing. Good, feel good. Exactly. And that's the thing. You should always feel confident in that clothing. Um, and that's why every guy needs just one. You don't want to be the dude showing up to your best friend's wedding in jeans. You know? Yeah. Or, or your, you know, somebody's funeral in jeans. Like, and it's it's so funny. Like, people, they look at suits and they're like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Like, they think that it's going to be uncomfortable when they get on. Man, this is nice. I'm like, yeah, probably because you've never like worn the right size. Yeah, that's a big thing too. Is like wearing the size. Like they see, you know, on a on a dress shirt, they see a 16 and a half, 32, 33, and they freak out because it doesn't say small, medium, or large. You know, and then like once you once we kind of educate them, that's what the cool thing about my store is. Is like we're su- we're such not a corporation that we. It's just like you walk in there and it's a different atmosphere than walking into like a Dillard's or a men's warehouse. You know, like we, we, we really strive on educating and like um, just being a much more customer oriented experience. Like we get to we get to dress people for their job interviews and their weddings, like some of the most important moments in their life. And that reflects on our store. And so even though even though I'm leaving, you know. It's still it's still someplace like I was proud I worked there. Mm-hmm. I like I picked it up as a second job to put Savannah through school and then I just ended up loving being there. You know, I work with some really great guys and it's always it's never about the sales aspect of it. It's about what we get to do. Like my favorite my absolute favorite moment is when I get to see some guy come in with his girlfriend or his fiance and I can tell the dude never has worn a suit before in his life. <laughs> And he comes out, and I get him in the perfect fitting suit, all dressed up, and the just the girls' faces. You can just tell. I mean, they just light up. It's like they've never seen their significant other, their guy, whatever, you know, dressed up like that. And that, to me, makes it so worth it because they get so excited. Or, like, I love working with the kids that are going to prom, and they're, like, oh, yeah. kind of bashful. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm like, you know, I just like to give them a lot of crap and stuff. And they just have a fun experience. 
You know, that that's what I like about our store. So Cool. Yeah, dude, go in there sometime. I will, yeah, for sure. Um, let's hear some of these riffs, man. Oh yeah. We're gonna play. Yeah. Alright, yeah, so Carter brought his guitar and he's gonna play a couple riffs here. So I'll take my ring off. Sorry. No, you're good. Sorry, wife. <laughs> uh, she knows I can't I can't do anything. I'm gonna take my watch off too. I can't do anything on my left hand when I play anything. It just drives me nuts, like to have nothing or to have something on my hand. For sure. So like that was that took a while to get used to with the ring, but then like the way I play, like my ring would be knocking mm. on the frets and I'm like, I'm not gonna pay for refretting on that, so Or for a new ring. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So it's actually my second ring. Um I broke my first one like two months after we oh, got boy. married. Yeah, it's um it was a uh, tungsten. Yeah, yeah. It was really cold one day, and it came off my finger when I took my glove off and went flying across the lobby and just cracked. Oh wow! So yeah, it's it, I still have it. It's sitting in my safe box, but I had to get a replacement ring. So mm. kind of sucks. But so I wanted to bring my guitar because I saw this really cool thing on um, uh, Metal Injection. Okay, yeah, like yeah. Having like Tobias Forge did this too. We're like having like people play their favorite riffs and stuff, and I was like, oh, it'd be kind of a kind of a cool thing to do. So, sure. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, you're in there. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, so I'll see if I remember any of these riffs. So like the first song I ever learned how to play was Paranoid. <laughs> play that correctly because it's been so long right oh i'm in drop tuning that's why it sounded weird um you know like uh stuff like that like when i so when i was learning how to play like i don't know why paranoid was one but i was really into ozzy yeah um you know the the first time i knew that i wanted to play the guitar was when i heard crazy train wasn't even the riff that was cool it was the guitar solo like oh dude randy rhodes randy was and it was just his uh i think it was his birthday just recently um like yeah dude like that that just changed my whole life watching randy rhodes like play that and of course like eddie van halen is a massive influence on eddie's eddie hands down is best guitar player that ever lived r.i.p so um that that's a big the big thing like i was saying with my dad like we always connected on a lot of 80s stuff so i'm I'm a huge 80s music fan i love doc and i love you know um anything with hair i love firehouse um i love uh kiss like all all that stuff man um like my dad's favorite band was kiss sammy Mm. hagar so like Kiss. I remember my dad showing me uh, God of Thunder for the first time. Ooh. You know? What is it? Like, I just, oh man, coming in with that riff was just so cool. Boom, boom. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that. I, I never, like, I like Kiss. Like, I love Destroyer, I love that record. But I never got into Kiss. Yeah, I've never a been lot. a huge Kiss fan, but like, I mean, some of those guys like Bart Barkak and the like, the guys that play in the Kiss cover bands are, are super cool. Scotty, yeah, yeah, Simmons was always into into that. I never was a massive Kiss fan, but like, yeah, I love God of Thunder. Um, you know, like Van Halen, really, obviously, as a guitar player, heavily influenced. You know, first time I ever heard like 
unchain. Like that was a big one. Um, yeah, man, I have like all the favorite riffs, you know, but like some of my absolute, like hands down, these are the best guitar riffs anybody ever written would be like Bark at the Moon. It's really hard to do this. this couch, oh, I but, hear you. Um, but yeah, like that, that kind of stuff like really shaped me as a guitar player. But as soon as I heard... Um, I hope everybody's gonna roast me for this one. As soon as I heard this, like Vent Sevenfold Backcountry, man, just. Like, as soon as I heard that and the guitar solo, that was it, dude. Like, I knew. Randy Randy was the, the push, but as soon as I heard Avenged Sevenfold, that was it. That was, I knew I had to play guitar. I knew I had to learn that song. I had to learn all of it. And then, you know, you got, like, favorite Avenged Sevenfold riffs, obviously, Backcountry, um, Beast and the Harlot. <laughs> Like that one's super awesome because you got the chorus that. You know. Yeah. Stuff that I can't play on acoustic. Yeah, it's definitely harder. Yeah, but with, then. With stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but then, uh, like, one song that we always covered, like, Andre and I always connected on was just Unholy Confessions. Like, Ooh, that yeah. just such a badass. <laughs> such an incredible song songwriting all of it um that those riffs really like shaped um you know a lot of my early guitar playing years but then when i started like learning how to write music i got into guys like jeff loomis and andy james which i won't attempt to play any of their stuff um and uh matt introduced me to a band called soil work hmm. soil work was peter peter vickers their guitar player for quite a number of years then he left and then he came back um he was a huge influence on me when we were writing that record when we went to new york a storm is coming that whole album like straight up has peter wickers all over it because the, um there's a there's a record called the uh, panic broadcast by soil work that was a huge inspiration for both andre and myself too we really loved that band um I love anything that comes out of Sweden too. I love I love Swedish melodic death metal. Love At the Gates, um, Early in Flames, Later in Flames. Um, you know, uh, The Haunted. Anything Ola England puts right. out is awesome. Um, I don't know, dude. I just love metal. Like I Hell just yeah. love metal. Like there's just nothing like metal. I think it was one time we were listening Savannah and I like she. She her and I like some of the same stuff, but she is very not. She doesn't like super heavy stuff screaming and all that and um but the one like there's still like certain bands like she loves ghost she loves ghost um she's a big cure fan and stuff but one time we were listening to something it was like super heavy 
I was going crazy. And she's like, you just have to have all the dramatic music, don't you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's the energy. Feel that. Like, you know. It really is an energy. When I was first starting to write songs, though, Kill Switch Engage, that was, yeah, dude, hearing, like, um, I don't know what it was about this absolution, but I remember the first time I ever heard it. And I had never really, like, heard a riff that was like... <laughs> Where it went like that, it was like something about that coming up, starting from here as your root, and then coming up, down, and all of a sudden there's this big low note. I was like, dude, how did they do that? Like, how did they, how did they have that like power and not be open? Because I just didn't understand how the riff was played. Right. But like that just gravitated me, and then I started like really paying attention to how they wrote and a lot of our music and a lot of the music that I still write is very kill switch type metalcore um yeah dude this is some cool some really cool riffs and stuff like that well give us one of your personal ones uh we talked about primal yeah yeah earlier, let's hear that, so one. that one oh if I remember how to play it Like that one, it's all about like call and response. Like, sure. So I'm calling there. Where's the response? There's the response. And I like to like um, tailor a lot of stuff around the central idea. So like um, the verse in that song is it's got this uh, open what'll be a C in the right tuning, but got this octave in it so it's so that's very prevalent right and then if I remember how to play that I haven't played that song in years so um but like the way that this this C this this note right here evolves through the whole way so like you've got the verse and then it's gonna come again into the pre-chorus so it's about resolution too so you've got this really all we're getting there that feels good right like that resolution yeah, yeah, yeah. and so um the the bridge in that song is right on that C then we're gonna mess it up no resolution things like if you listen to that song there's like some harmonic um in the breakdown it's and i got people like oh disturbed you know like dan donegan oh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. machine head stole that one from machine head um that was another fun concert we got to play was machine head that oh, was fuck yeah. that was That'd awesome that was pretty awesome because uh i really loved um Unto the Locust, like that album was really big on me in like high school and stuff. So, um, another couple of my riffs, like, uh, there's a couple I wanna, I wanna show you, but I don't think I'm allowed to. Um, 
them and they're like, oh yeah, my dad's favorite riff from the time. So Justin and I, like there's a lot of ETU songs that like Justin, Andre and I wrote in Suburban Society the last time that I was in it. Um, we wrote this song called Valor Valhalla, which mm-hmm. became Valor for ETU. That is my dad's favorite riff of all time. always loved that guitar riff. He I like that, that was the best damn riff he ever heard. Um, Rise is another big one. <laughs> Justin and I wrote that one. I remember sitting in government writing that song, and um, I want. I really, I'm a big Shine Down fan too. I really wanted to write a song like Fly from the Inside, mm. and so I just kind of had that kind of rock vibe in my in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's like, uh, it's pretty cool. Hell yeah, man. Who would you, uh, who would you place on your personal Mount Rushmore of guitar players? Four, or can I pick five? You can pick five. Okay, I pick five. Um, your personal. It doesn't have to be, like, who you actually think are, like, the five best, but who do you, like, who are your Mount Such Rushmore? Such a hard... Tony Iommi, hands down, for sure. For sure. For sure, Tony Iommi. I mean, you can't get a better. Also, um, Dio Sabbath is the best Sabbath. I know I'm sacrilegious there, but Ozzy's better on his own. And Dio got pull the mic a little Dio, Dio uh, was better with Sabbath. I, I think that's just my opinion. Fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, Iomi for sure. Am I close enough here? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, Iomi for sure. Randy Rhodes. Iomi Rhodes. Sinister Gates, hands down. I, he gets a lot of flack for no reason because he's an incredible, incredible songwriter, incredible like solo guitar writer. The guy comes up with some nuts melodies. Um, Andy James, and I'm gonna have to tie. It's got to be a tie between Keith Marrow and Jeff Loomis. Okay, both instrumentalists, but. I mean, Keith Marrow was the whole reason I bought a seven-string, even though Jeff Loomis is a huge seven-string player too. But Loomis is always what I've tried to attain as like a lead player. Andy James, his flavor, like his um, uh, phrasing, has always been some of my favorite. I like to steal a lot from him. Gates is one of my biggest influences. Randy, obviously. And then Tony, too. I mean, Tony, like... Every time I listen to a good guitar riff, and then I just I still go back and listen to like the Mob Rules or like yeah. listen to Heaven to Hell, and I'm just like, God, dude, this guy had all of this figured out before anybody else did. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I, I could list you like all of my favorite guitar players, like everybody that's good. You know, like, oh for sure. I mean, I love George Lynch. Um, like I said, I'm a big a big '80s guy, so I just. I love all of that. I love the I loved the eighties era. I mean Eddie Van Halen, I guess I don't know why I threw I threw like a couple modern guys, but I mean Eddie would be the king of all of them, so for me. Well, for sure, man. There's a lot in there for definitely. Well, I think we're getting toward the end here, man. Yeah. I mean, we had a really good conversation. Like that was a 
really good, easy flowing. I had like, fun. I Hopefully enjoyed my it guitar well. playing didn't scare anybody. No, nah, that was great. It was all right. But um, before we go, I always like to do one last thing to close out the show. I like to give the guests an opportunity to send out some kind of a positive message or a motivational message, anything that pertains to you that you'd like to give off to the audience, anything that comes to mind for sure. you. Uh, I am a uh, complete believer in willing things into the universe, and and basically, if you think it, it will happen. Um, I every time I have goals, I write them down, and I it always says I will do this. Like uh, this year, I was getting a new new position with a new a new firm, and I will I will get this job by this time. I will buy a house by the end of you know. You're willing things, so do that. Write your goals down will them into existence only you have the power to make them happen um and you've got to want to do it you have to want to do it if you want to get in shape you have to do the work right you have to want to do it and feel good about it and and celebrate the little victories it's all about the little victories you know speaking of fitness you go four weeks you know counting your calories doing this you're not seeing a little, uh, you're not seeing results. You go another four weeks. Oh, and hey, I'm starting to get this little muscle. That's the little victory. Do that. One last thing that I always say: always practice until you don't get it right, but till you can't get it wrong on anything you do, any kind of job. Make sure that you just can't get it wrong. And that's that's what I'll do. And keep believing that everything is going to be good because we're going to come out of this, and it's going to be a much better society i think and a much better brotherly love i hope so also um music's coming back and i'm excited about that too oh yeah so. i i totally agree with you about the willingness stuff into into existence i totally believe in that as well so yeah cool well thanks man appreciate you coming yep, on of course buddy and um let everybody know where they can hear your music and where they can yeah i've got a i've got an artist page it's just carter estel a musician or it's like carter estel mt or something like that on facebook um i'm on youtube um, of course, you can hear the old ETU stuff on Spotify, and then any new music later this year, I'll be revealing and telling you how to find that. So give it a few more months, and there's going to be some more exciting stuff coming around. Cool. I'll link you up in the uh, description, too. So Cool. All applicable links down below. <laughs> Absolutely. Right on. Well, thank you guys for watching. Appreciate it. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, as always. And don't forget, life's a garden. Dig it. <laughs>